I think you have to have some uh, pressure on your faculty and say that you are training us for the future. It's not just uh, as an engineer. I need to know the type of workplace, the workplace environment. I need to know what I will face. I need to know uh, what kind of prejudice, what, what will people have thought of me without even getting to know me just based on my last name or based on some caste question, what will they think of me? I need to know. I mean, the, the, imagine if the large uh, Western industries in pharma and uh, you know various sectors that India depends on and tech and all that enact certain social policies in their corporate HR and require that this has to be worldwide uh, and this has to be uh, this has to be a criteria for selecting vendors for selecting outsourcing suppliers it's going to have an influence in India I want to discuss uh, things that should concern IITNs. Now there are uh, two kinds of so there are there are two kinds of uh, information. Broadly, you could say descriptive and prescriptive. Descriptive is you know when somebody is just describing. So you are describing an engineering system. You are not passing value judgment. You are not saying it's good or bad. Uh, you are just saying this is a description. That's a description of things that are happening. Prescriptive is when you're giving your opinion and you're giving your position. Now I'll give you, I want to focus on the descriptive because then you can make up your own mind. But we're all human beings, we also have opinions, so I will mix it with my views also. That I can't help, you know. But I'm just warning you that uh, the prescriptive part of what I say, you can filter out. I have no problem. If you only get, if you only take in the facts I give you and just say, we don't need this Raji Marotra's views, you know, just remove it, it will be actually fine. Then you will think for yourself. Now the, this, the information I'm going to give you should be, is a serious matter. So therefore, uh, don't get mixed up with my views and who am I and what I think and all that's, a, that's less, less relevant to you. What affects your careers uh, is, uh, is the information I'm going to give you. Now, uh, this information is, there are two parts to this discussion. One is a certain relationship between what's happening in the United States and its impact in India. That's one topic. What starts in the US as an attack on IITs by Harvard professors and then lawsuits against IITNs in Silicon Valley. It's a American thing. And the reasons have to do with American society, racism and uh, critical race theory and all these things that are part of the American politics. So it's an American thing, but it's affecting Indians first in the United States and then in India. Because the HR departments of these Silicon Valley companies are making new policies, new policies on uh, their ideas of uh, Indian society and these new policies are only for Indians. I'll explain that to you when we discuss. There are policies being created which are specific to Indian society, Indian people working there. Not Chinese working there or somebody else working there, but Indians working there. And, and then 
given that all these Silicon Valley companies have offices in India, it affects their offices here. So Microsoft India, Facebook India, you know, Amazon India, and so, and so on, will naturally replicate the same policies here. So if you get a job here, it will affect you. The outsourcing companies that they are using, whether it's Infosys or Tata Consultancy or anybody, uh, are going to be required by US law at some point in time, not it hasn't happened yet, but this is the trend, to also comply with those kind of policies. So in other words, don't think that uh, why should we worry it's happening in, in America, it's also going to have ramifications in India. And not only in the tech sector, also all other industries like pharma industry, automobile export industry, all kind of industries in India are, in, are intertwined with the rest of the world. And so this is going to become a kind of a global phenomenon starting in the US. So that is the first discussion, the first point I will discuss what it is, what is it that happened in the US, why it happened, it's an American thing, it is not an Indian thing, but it is going to reflect in India. And the second thing I'll talk about, the first was the relationship between um, what's happening in US and happening in India. The second is the relationship between social sciences and science and technology, hard sciences. So far, the hard sciences have been neutral. So whether you, what you study is nothing to do with social policy. You study the stars because you want to study, that's your choice. You study a particular piece, kind of engineering. You want to study a certain kind of algorithm and, you know, that's what you study. But increasingly, social sciences are beginning to, not beginning, but in the United States, they have already made a, a established policies that affect science. What kind of science you are allowed to do, what kind of science you are not allowed to do, who is allowed to do, what should be the impact, so social impact. So, so it is not neutral. You don't ask questions and say, I'm asking this question because I, it's in the spirit of inquiry. I am a physicist by training and so I didn't, uh, I wasn't told in my time that uh, you have to ask questions based on, uh, you know, certain social policies. But that is not relevant. And in fact, we as, a, as scientists, we look down on social scientists saying these guys are not that, uh, you know, they're, it's not even a science. It's, uh, they call it social science, but it's not even a proper science. But however, it seems that due to the politics, the social scientists are winning. And this is a very strange thing for, me, for a person like me. It's a very, very strange thing. So that's the second thing I'll talk about. And then, then uh, I want you to reflect how, what you think of it. I'll give you my views uh, as I go. Uh, which I, as I said, will be my uh, prescriptive or opinion kind of thing. But you should focus more on the facts. Now, what has happened in the United States, let's start with that. In a, a new kind of a theory, a social theory has, been, has emerged, become very center stage. It is called critical race theory. And I won't go into the background how it started, you know, it's the result of Marxism becoming adapted to for race, American race relations. But suffice it to say that uh, critical race theory takes American race problems of whites and blacks, oppressor and oppressed, and it uh, comes up with a theory on uh, how on, on the fact that uh, the new the new what is new about it is that it is not relevant whether you as an individual white are good or bad, the fact that you are white means that by default you are part of the structure. You are part of the structure of oppression because you are white by birth. And if you are black by birth, 
then even though you may be a billionaire, you may be a movie star or a sports person or whatever, but by, by definition, you are oppressed. So it, it is identity politics, what we in India would call identity politics. And it's a whole theory which says that uh, the structures of society, whether it is universities, whether it is constitution, whether it is the laws, whether it is uh, you know business practices, whatever it is, all of civilization has been created by dominant people, uh, whites in the case of uh, United States, uh, a male. And so these are, these are serving the needs of the oppressor. And if a white person says, look, I haven't done anything wrong. I have a lot of black friends. They'll say, but you're still white. And you have to admit that you're oppressor. So if he says, I am not oppressor, I haven't done, tell me what I've done wrong. They'll say you're in denial. So you get in more trouble. So this type of politics has started in recent years. It's accelerated. And I won't go into the history, but it's a very American thing. It's this part of it's very American specific. And then there's a backlash from the other people. So this is at the heart of the cultural, social divide and political divide in the United States between people, extreme people on one side and extreme people on the other side. There's very little middle ground left and they are uh, back and forth fighting. Now this has resulted in many universities starting with places like Harvard and other Ivy Leagues and then all the other universities uh, in adopting policies that uh, are equivalent to some what you call quota system here, similar to that which is very un-American. So Harvard for example has, has a, a quota on uh, whites, Asians, blacks and uh, Harvard admitted that if it was entirely on merit, Asians would get 43% of all the admissions, 43%. But they made a policy that it cannot, they cannot have more than 20. So <laughs> they've made half uh, artificially. And the whites also have been downgraded uh, by policy. And the blacks have been boosted. So now this is, case has gone to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court doesn't, unlike the Indian Supreme Court, they don't meddle with a whole lot of things. Indian Supreme Court trying to make all, run the government also. But in the US, the Supreme Court is only allowed to interpret the constitution not adjudicate cases, but only interpret the constitution. So this is a constitutional uh, interpretation case the Supreme Court has taken and they will, they are saying they will make a judgment by June. Uh, so we are all seeing what will happen and they may overturn this whole Harvard policy and this will have big ramifications. So this quota system, this has also now gotten into the private sector. This is called DEI, diversity, equity and inclusion. That's part of the HR department and these HR departments are, uh, you know, uh, uh, it is now politically correct uh, for your stock market and for your image and profile to, uh, to sort of say that uh, in the name of inclusion, in the name of inclusion and diversity, uh, we are uh, following a certain policy on how we recruit, who we recruit, how many managers of certain kind and so on and so forth. Now, a certain word you will come across is equity and you may think like I used to think that equity means equality. When they are pursuing equity that means equality but it doesn't mean equality. It means equal outcome not equal opportunity. Equal opportunity means that everybody sit for the exam, 
you all got equal opportunity or everybody is running a race and whoever runs fast wins. It's not that we have to allocate so many medals for these kind of identity or so many, uh, you know, so many goals in a, in a, a football match have to be allocated to a certain kind of uh, uh, people. It's, uh, but equity says that the outcome should be uh, a certain kind of outcome and even, and you can face, for, uh, fake it, you can force that outcome. So, it's not equal opportunities but equal outcome and the Harvard admission policy is an equal outcome, uh, equal outcome policy, ex equity. And so, now this equity business is also coming into the corporate world. So far, what I've talked to you about is sort of at the heart of American social conflict, political conflict that is going on. But now, something interesting happened. Some, an Indian, now we'll talk to the Indian implications. An Indian at Harvard, an Indian a professor at Harvard wrote a very scathing book attacking IITs, saying that meritocracy is a sham, is a cover for casteism in IITs. It's named, it's called the caste of merit story of IITs. It is naming after IITs and the whole book is on IITs, uh, the history of IITs, it was set up for, by its very constitution and its nature, it was set up to privilege Brahmins, is what it says, and to oppress Dalits and minorities. Uh, the, the whole business of meritocracy and all that is not really uh, a true level playing field. So, it's pretty scathing and this has been, this is this person and others working with her have been doing this for 10 years. And the book, uh, writing papers, the book came out uh, four or five years ago. Now, there's, there was no reaction from the IITs. I was surprised not a single professor or anybody in the Indian min government, ministry did a book review they, or gave a response. So, uh, we did it. It's very interesting that IITs sort of want to avoid this, but it is now it has reached a point which we'll come to in a moment of litigation, lawsuits. So, naturally, they can't avoid. So, when this came out, they, they should have responded, come up with said, okay, let's discuss and maybe there are some uh, clarifications we can make and, you know, they should have done something like that, but they didn't. So, now this, there is another high, uh, person in uh, Harvard Kennedy School. Uh, they started working together. He's a Dalit activist and, uh, and he says that he started bringing a whole lot of uh, uh, ammunition uh, into the Harvard uh, curriculum and uh, their, their uh, conferences and on India and so on. And from the Harvard, it spread to everywhere in the Ivy League and uh, all the universities, uh, uh, including in Europe. And so, these people work together uh, uh, on, on creating this, uh, uh, you know, inform this theory about caste abuse in IITs. And, uh, and uh, then another person uh, called uh, Sondare Rajan in New York, uh, she's claimed to have done a survey, a caste survey of Indian tech workers in USA. According to which she says, uh, so many percent of the people are being abused and there are so many thousands of cases of uh, Dalits being abused by Brahmins in the United States. And then, of course, there were some independent uh, surveys uh, that said there is no such evidence. There, there, we haven't seen this kind of a thing happening. But given the politics of the day, her report was covered by 
Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, she was on Big Star all of a sudden. And they hyphenated the Dalit with the blacks. And a new identity has been created called the Afro-Dalit, which I talked about in a book 12 years ago that uh, Indrani knows about. 12 years ago, we talked about the Afro-Dalit, but nobody took it seriously. It was just being discussed as a proposition, but now it's real. It's a political movement. So this means that uh, uh, the whole movement of the blacks, which is very powerful, uh, the, the Dalits are high, uh, kind of piggybacking on that in America, and there is this Afro-Dalit movement. So after this was claimed, then they started lawsuits. So there has been a lawsuit filed against Cisco that uh, a Brahmin is being is oppressing a Dalit. And so they, of course Cisco defended it and then it created a lot of fear all over Silicon Valley because the machinery the, this, of these people, PR machinery went around saying that if you have Brahmins, you're in trouble because you're going to be sued under American laws because the laws of racism will apply. This is the other thing. Once you say that the Dalits are blacks and the non-Dalits are whites, then American racism got very tough laws. Very tough laws so that when a black person files a case, then it's a whole lot of problems created and there are all these procedures and legal procedures have to happen. So now those procedures will apply when somebody says, I have been prejudiced on grounds of caste. Now this applies to in the United States, it applies to American companies doing work overseas. And now they want to have caste quotas for H-1B visa. So this affects you. Uh, so it hasn't happened yet, but this is on the, this is a discussion now. So when this lawsuit happened against Cisco, the people in all these other companies got very scared. So they, they, then this uh, Sondere Rajan's group decided that now is a good chance to make a lot of money. So they went to, they went and started offering caste sensitivity workshop training to people in Microsoft and people in Amazon and Apple and all that. And they're charging up to $75,000 per hour to go and that's the consulting fee to go and train them on caste because they said you guys should know about caste. You don't know. You should know about it. You have no idea these tens of thousands of people that you've been hiring. That's a huge caste problem, right? It's a racism problem. It's essentially you've been hiring racists and in the American uh, equivalent. And you ought to be sensitive, you ought to know, you ought to have policies, you ought to be flagging, you ought to be having surveys, you ought to know if there are too many people of a certain caste and things like that. So these American companies have so much money, rather than, rather than saying, okay, get lost, we don't, we don't have this problem. They said, okay, we'll pay them 75,000, it's not a whole lot, we just pay them money and they'll go away. So then this first workshop led to, okay, we need to now go to the next level of management. So I was told by somebody, I have been called by, I got interested because a lot of Indians called me who are doing this kind of Silicon Valley work, tech workers, our people, the people like you, saying, what do we do? We are being required to sit in these HR sensitivity training courses, very embarrassing with our white friends. 
and colleagues are looking at us saying, are you racist? We didn't know you're racist, but according to these guys, you're racist. Your whole heritage is racist. Your whole culture is racist. That's what these people are saying because they're making all these extreme statements. Like one of them says that uh, five lakh Dalits were killed in, the la in 10 years, something like that by Brahmins. I mean, where it got it from, it is not referenced. Uh, but very ex extreme and uh, sensational data, which if true would certainly bother me. I would be really disturbed if true, but th there isn't evidence being cited. So this kind of a data and sensationalism has entered workshops in the United States. So I was told in one workshop, uh, Satya Nadella sat and with his top management and they conducted this workshop and uh, uh, he had been advised not to say anything, not to argue, not to raise questions. So he sat for a few hours and thank you and left quietly. And so the HR department then conducted another round of workshop for different department, different departments. So now it's gone all over. These workshops are happening. So uh, it's become a very uh, widespread phenomenon to conduct caste training workshops in Silicon Valley. Now, somebody who works in the World Bank, Indian, called me and said that uh, the same organization has uh, set up caste workshops in the World Bank. So he said, why is it, he asked his management, this guy is pretty audacious, he's a very senior guy. And I have his interview on video, we're going to put it out, uh, Vishwajit is working on it, we are going to put it out soon. This, uh, uh, this person's uh, Mohinder Golati, he's a senior person in the World Bank and this is his testimony and he says that uh, he asked them why are you picking caste uh, uh, you know uh, issues why not uh, China has issues of uh, various social abuses against Uyghur Muslims and Tibetans and whatnot and why are you not talking about that and there are issues that in Australia they're against Aborigines I mean he listed all kind of uh, issues social issues in many countries why are you picking caste as a topic and the reason they wanted to, uh, to, uh, to discuss uh, caste issues in World Bank is to make the case that World Bank should give loans and financing based on whether there is caste abuse in that project or not. So next time World Bank is asked, uh, you know, here is a project for power or project for irrigation or whatever. Uh, the proposal is, which they are debating and they haven't made the policy yet, but they're debating whether the World Bank should also consider uh, as a criteria for giving a grant that uh, there, is, uh, there is enough minorities and enough uh, diversity of caste people in it and so on. So in other words, they may look for some kind of a quota as a condition. And this is not, there is no equivalent such sensitivity training going on for any other culture. It is only for our culture and our caste system that is the target. That is what is interesting. And recently, I think last within the last week, Seattle passed a law, Seattle municipal government passed a law that uh, casteism will be treated like racism. And uh, it, uh, casteism is a uniquely Indian problem. And then, you know, a lot of our people try to argue saying that you have discrimination in all kind of cultures. And why are you singling us out? But that's what the politics is. So I'm giving you a descriptive uh, statement of what is going on and not uh, my opinion and views are always there, of course, but you have to look at the facts and see for yourself. So now uh, this is happening in a rapid way. 
this is creating a tension, concern among Indian tech workers. They feel that uh, the day is coming when um, you interview in the HR department, they want to know what was your caste and they'll decide if they, there are too many people like your caste and not bring you in and give that job to somebody else. Uh, whether they, when there's time for a promotion in the company or a performance review, whether you'll be asked, uh, you know, uh, what is your caste and that become a factor. And this is becoming, you know, so this business of D, caste becoming a part of the DEI, diversity, equity and inclusion dynamics of HR departments is happening. This is happening. Uh, it has happened in universities. It has happened in county governments, municipal governments, and it is happening in Silicon Valley tech companies. Uh, it is also entering other parts of American industry. So this is the way it is affecting Indians as a target group. Now, now come to the effect on India. So India already has quotas in certain sectors, uh, but now it's American pressure from the big tech to bring this into the private sector of wherever there are American investments. So it will not only come in through to the very big companies that are hiring a lot of tech workers like you people, but also venture capital. A lot of venture capital in America is, in India is American. So venture capitalists, when they start saying, say Goldman Sachs or JP Morgan or Citibank or all these kind, all the different uh, Kleiner Perkins, all these people that, you know, when we give a funding, we, one of the questions criteria we look at is whether they have good diversity, equity, inclusion, that of, of course affects you. So the, this is the first part of my discussion that things that are happening in the United States for purely American social problems have now echoed in Indian society. First was in the United States, Indians working there being affected. And the IITians kept telling me, how will it affect me? I am professor in some IIT here. Why should it affect me? Well, it's going to affect you because all this is coming here also. And it's going to affect your students. Uh, whether you think about it proactively or whether in two, three years when these people graduate and they face all this and then you have to deal with it, it's your choice. Uh, and I'm very disappointed with the lack of uh, response from the IITians. Very disappointed. I mean, they could have said, yeah, we agree with all this. That's fine. At least they should have a policy. Uh, but I've found that uh, kind of let's avoid it. It's controversial. Why should I stick my neck out? This sort of thing happening. But then we've had uh, some very interesting uh, breakthroughs. Uh, one is uh, Ron Gupta, who is the president of the Pan-IIT Association USA, which is a very powerful part of the whole IIT alumni worldwide. IIT alumni worldwide is half a million people. And Pan-IIT USA is a very powerful part of it. Uh, some of those people are very big shot in the tech in world. And so the Ron Gupta, who is the president of this Pan-IIT USA, has uh, personally made an endorsement of a book. I don't see copies of that new books here. Do we know if they are here? I'd say. So there's a book called The Battle for IITs. And the back of that is an endorsement by Ron Gupta. That's a very big breakthrough for us. Uh, they are going to have their annual international Pan-IIT conference in September in Washington and they are thinking of inviting us to go and present this whole thing to bring awareness. 
because at least people should have a factual understanding then you can take whatever policy you feel like i have no problem whatever whichever way you go but at least you should know the facts and then we found that the iitians uh, pan iitians in uh, silicon valley very concerned and the washington dc area very concerned and then uh, we had a very successful discussion with the uh, iit madras professors and you should look up that video if you haven't already it's a video that had huge a uh, number of views uh, it's a discussion on this whole attack from harvard uh, uh, attack on iits that they have given their their views their counter arguments they don't like it they don't agree with this attack uh, and then yesterday we launched uh, this book the battle for iits we launched it at the world book fair in delhi and uh, the ex director of iit delhi made a very strong statement supporting our book and giving a criticism of this whole movement and then the iit rurki lieutenant general who's a product of iit rurki and he's president of the alumni uh, he gave a very strong view position so we are finding uh, more uh, such views coming out and uh, next week i'm going to iit bombay where a lot of professors have already sent us their views but we'll have it on video uh, so this is a this is a gradually uh, a few courageous people who are principled who feel responsibility as leaders of the iit community because they're professors they're training people uh, they see feel it is their responsibility to at least speak up and say something while i would say a large number of them don't still want to say anything but they'll become followers they're not leaders they'll be followers because some people are leaders a lot of people are human beings are followers so they'll follow and that will happen so this is one part of what i wanted to say second part has to do with social sciences versus the hard sciences and technology is part of the hard sciences you see there is a whole movement which is also the result of the same critical race theory which says that to counter the hegemony of the of the oppressor you have to cancel culture apply cancel culture which means silence the oppressor the freedom of speech should be silenced because if they keep talking they will keep dominating you have to silence them and give a chance to the oppressed to speak and this means that even scientific american magazine has come up with this policy to uh, support articles that are equity in other words some quota for articles not on merit not blind review but based on certain quota of articles or based on uh, you know identity of the people and ideologically what to support what not to support and many grant making organizations in the united states including the government and including many private grant makers have made policies that uh, in every proposal you have to start off a part of your proposal has to say what is the benefit to society to diversity equity inclusion how will it benefit diversity equity inclusion for uh, for this from this research so if you say i'm just studying galaxies i don't care i mean that's not good an answer i mean i know uh, very senior physicists in certain ivy leagues you know who have quit and gone to europe where they feel that this is not yet reached the same level because they felt that their careers are being 
stifled in the United States because it used to be a meritocracy. That is what made America great, that the Americans would bring their best talent from all over the world, completely blind as to what is good or bad about his society, not that, okay, his society is abusive, we don't bring him, none of that, just based on merit. If you are good, you are good. And that's how I made my career in the United States. I lived, I've lived there for 52 years. I went there when I was 20. I'm now 72. I didn't know this kind of America, which has now happened. So the social sciences uh, with a particular theory of society, which is, which has to be critiqued also. We have to critique, well, you know, can you really say that society can be bifurcated into oppressor and oppressed? Why? How can you be so clear? I mean, there are a lot of white people who are also very poor. There are a lot of black people who are also very rich. And this oppression is also within Africa, where black Africans are oppressing black Africans. There is also internal within Africa. It's not just white to blacks. It is also within. But even if, even if you accept all of that, how does, how does it affect India? India has to have its own social theory. India has a long history of its own social theory, its own democracy, its own politics and all of that. And do we need to just copy what the Americans are exporting? But the pressure is very serious. The pressure to do so is, is very serious. So now the question comes, to what extent are the social sciences going to dictate the type of funding, the type of research that the hard sciences should be doing? And is there going to be a social science person on the review board when you write a paper in physics or biology or something, some social scientist is going to look at it and say, look at what is the social merit, you know. And so this is, if this continues, now I'm being opinionated, if this continues, American uh, competence will go down. It will go down. China will benefit because China is not, is not interested in these kind of things. They have openly rejected this type of interference from American universities. They've actually removed some of the collaborations with American Ivy Leagues and they want to limit their collaboration only to STEM, not humanities and social sciences, only science, technology, medicine, engineering, because they can get technology, beg, borrow, steal, they want technology from the United States. So they are interested in uh, intellectual collaborations only in the hard sciences and they don't want any interference about social sciences at all. They have made it very clear. So that's the uh, that's the state of affairs uh, right now. And uh, uh, United States uh, does not follow the same equity principle in sports. I've argued, some people have argued that in sports, suppose every team has to have, any, every football team or basketball team has to have a certain percent quota of people in proportion to their representation in society, you will not have very good teams. It's like suppose in cricket, you said a certain percentage of batsmen have to be of this, this minority quota or this quota, or that quota, and certain percentage of ballers, you will not have as good a team. And suppose the United States Olympic team had to, there was some law or something that, uh, some people lobbying for this, that, you know, that uh, number of uh, people have to be in some quota of some race or caste or whatever, uh, then, then, you know, would, would such a team be competitive? So when, when you, don't have meritocracy uh, on, as the basis for selecting your best players, your management, whatever, whether it's military, whether it's corporate sector, whether it's research departments, whether it's sports, you are going to be, have a disadvantage 
facing an opponent who does not have any such restrictions. If the opponent says, I'll put the best team, I don't care about their identity. I don't care about their personal markers and all that. I will just put the best cricket team and the best military team and the best research team and, and all of that. If that's the uh, country you're facing and you are don't, don't have that luxury of putting out your best team on meritocracy, you will have a disadvantage. So this is, this is the, uh, the second part of my, the second point I wanted to make that is the social sciences encroaching the hard sciences, which is real. And these are issues that your generation has to deal with. I, I couldn't care less if, as far as for my selfish point of view, I'm done. And but I feel I feel that the people who know these things have to speak out for the benefit of those who are going to enter the job market. Uh, and it's already a complex world. So I thought that um, IITNs should be told about it. And I didn't see leadership from the faculties. I didn't see leadership from the faculties. Faculties, if anything, are in denial or resisting or coming up with every excuse why they don't want to get involved. But one has to reach out to the students and the students have to decide, uh, have to at least become aware. And you know, once you know these facts, which is what we are documenting in these books. So this little book, 150 page on battle for IITs, please take a look at it. Once you know the facts, at least you will know what to expect when you go to the job market. What may somebody tell you? What may they accuse you of? What may they be assuming and thinking about you? You should know where it's coming from. When somebody gives a hint, what is he trying to say? Where is it coming from? So this book explains to you that kind of a psychological makeup of people nowadays in, in this whole field. So there's two books. One is this ba battle for IITs. But then a lot of people want to know, okay, if they accuse me of uh, being a casteist, what do I respond with? So there's a second book, which is also 150 some pages called Varna Jati Caste. Varna Jati Caste. It is also there. I hope it's there. So that gives you a, a, a kind of, uh, it tells you the Indian facts about data, facts about the history, what it has been, what it was, what it is. What are the laws, how things are changing, how things are flexible, how, you know, where there are problems, where there are not problems. So you have a bigger canvas, a bigger range of knowledge to formulate your own views because you should have your own policy. You, you will not be able to avoid this issue. You will not be able to say, I am a mechanical engineer. I don't know these things. You will be dragged into these conversations. Not that you will initiate them, but you will be asked to participate in these conversations and you will be asked to defend yourself. And so you should at least go prepared with some information. That is why we wrote these books. So with that, I will close. Thank you. Thank you. Um, there have been some questions coming. One of the questions is, how is it about social sciences versus hard sciences? In the sense that, uh, okay, there may be certain social scientists or certain uh, Harvard professionals doing this attack, but can we say that this is the entire social science versus hard science debate or the entire Harvard versus IIT debate? Okay, so let me answer. So if certain Harvard professors are doing it, uh, how, do we, how do we say it applies to all the social sciences? That's the question. So Harvard is exceedingly powerful in influencing the social sciences. 
the policies that come out of there, the Harvard University Press, which is the publisher of some of these books, Harvard Kennedy School trains the leaders of the whole world uh, and the kind of uh, funding they have, the kind of budget they have and the kind of prestige they have uh, certainly affects uh, the, the premier universities all over the world, social science. India, India's social scientists are mainly trained in western models. You can look at any book on sociology, you can look at the NCRT books, they all talk about European social thinkers. They don't talk about Indian social thinkers a whole lot, it's mainly social sciences models are based on western, on European thought. And you look at the, uh, you, know, you look at the UPSC exam, sociology, it's also like that. You look at social sociology courses. So the the, the training of uh, social scientists in India is usually is actually pretty much based on Western social thought, with some sprinkling of uh, Indian thought that is being brought in nowadays. Uh, but the models the models being used, you know, the models of race. The race is a kind of a, not a concept we have. Uh, you know, uh, the different concepts we have. Uh, the concept of uh, uh, nation, uh, nation is built on one language, one race, you know, uh, one religion, kind of an idea of uh, nation. It doesn't apply to our concept. It, it cannot. Uh, and you can, if you apply that, then you'll say India is not a nation because India cannot be organized like that. So I think the social sciences we have generally in the English speaking world, not in Japan, not in China, I agree, not in the Arab world. But in the English-speaking world, they are heavily dominated by what used to be British influence and now American influence. All right, thank you. So the next question is that um, you have mentioned about this new disease of playing safe and remaining silent to any problem or concern. Uh, so what is its cure? Well, I think uh, if I think you have to have some uh, pressure on your faculty and say that you are training us for the future, it's not just uh, as an engineer, I need to know the type of workplace, the workplace environment, I need to know what I will face, uh, I need to know uh, what kind of prejudice, what, what will people have uh, thought of me without even getting to know me, just based on my last name or based on some caste question, what will they think of me, I need to know and, and I should be trained. And I think it's a perfectly fine, reasonable request from students that they would like some orientation and say, why haven't you take these books? Why haven't you given us this kind of knowledge? Uh, we should be at least aware. Let's say you want to agree with all those policies that are coming. You should still know about it. You should still know about it. You should not be ignorant or you want to disagree with those policies or you still want to make up your mind. You want to be able to argue. You want to be able to represent yourself. Maybe your policy, your position will be a little bit this way and a little bit that way. It's fine, but you should have the facts. So the fact that we are producing this information and it has not been produced by the IITians at all. But now, of course, many IITs are wanting us to come and spread this information is an encouraging sign. Right. So there is one question that um, while Western countries have imported Manu's equity before law, Ambedkar imports equality before law from the Christian jurisprudence, um, which doesn't take social socioeconomic status into account. Uh, so you comment on that? Well, if you read, read my book, uh, Snakes in the Ganga, I have a whole 20, 25 pages on Ambedkar. You should read it. Uh, I'm very uh, sympathetic with Ambedkar. But I also want to point out, you know, Ambedkar was a very brilliant man, a very complex person. 
he had uh, four debates each in a major book uh, and I've discussed each of them. One was his debate with Gandhi on the issue of caste where actually I agree with him, not Gandhi. Then he had a debate on um, Islam, a very big book he wrote, very scathing. The third was his interpretation of Buddhism where I have some issues because Buddhists would not quite agree with that definition of Buddhism. His definition removed the four noble truths and the emphasis on meditation which is the signature practice of Buddhism. You can't really remove that but he did. However, I must say that that was towards the end of his life and he died very soon after he produced his works on Buddhism and maybe that was very preliminary and had he lived he could have done more, more, more broader views. And then his fourth debate was with communism. He was comparing Buddha with communists, telling the communists, scolding the communists that they, their solution, what they are trying to achieve will not be achieved the way as well as Buddhists could achieve it. So, he's a complex man and I will explain all his four debates, four major debates in that book and give you my views on it. The issue is that the Ambedkarites today, Ambedkarites today need to learn from Ambedkar because some of these Ambedkarites at Harvard, one guy Suraj Yengde says he's the Ambedkar 2.0. He just announced himself as the successor to Ambedkar, which is a pretty arrogant thing to do. But they have not understood certain basic things. Ambedkar rejected uh, working through the West to, uh, to pressure India. He left United States and Britain after getting advanced degrees, after having all the opportunities, after being given all the offers to stay there and work on their side. He, he was not a, a Ramon Roy type person who was sort of Indian but also mixed up with the British. He was very clearly Indian. And he rejected uh, the co conversion to Christianity, he rejected all that and he was uh, fighting against uh, the western uh, colonialism. So, he was championing his community within India, very clear that this is a fight within India. It has to be a fight within the Indian constitution. It is not a fight that we will go to some Gora Sahibs and ask them to come and interfere, which is what today's so-called Ambedkarites are doing. The difference between Ambedkar and these uh, Ambedkar, uh, you know, self-appointed Ambedkarites is that these self-appointed Ambedkarites have fallen prey to the offers and the carrots offered at places like Harvard, gone there, enjoying a good life, very openly and blatantly, uh, and and trying to champion the Ambedkar cause, but betraying Ambedkar's main requirement, which was that he's first and foremost a, an Indian, and he will not go and betray India. In, and sell out to some foreign country and ask them to come and put sanctions here or to put danda here or to put this or that. So, whereas these Ambedkarites are doing just that. So, in that sense, they are not really true to the Ambedkar legacy. So, we have one question is that uh, when we teach any course in ethics uh, in India, we teach Russell and Kant and maybe a mention of Bhagavad Gita. We also teach uh, relationship between nation and state maybe with a mention or not of Kautilya or Arthashastra. So, are the things in USA any different? Do they include Indian classics in the study of humanities? No, because uh, if you don't respect yourself, why would others respect you? Uh, China doesn't believe in teaching uh, Western ethics. They have their own Confucian ethics and modern Chinese ethics and Taoism and they are very proud of that. There is no doubt about it. 
So because they're proud of that, when Americans at Harvard and other places, when they teach Chinese thought, Chinese sociology and so on, they follow the, what the Chinese teach, not their own views. So, but whereas in the case of India, when the Indians go, they are themselves so sold out against India. You see, there's a huge difference between Chinese students and Indian students in the United States. Uh, the Chinese students are very patriotic to their country. The Chinese students are mostly in STEM education. They don't go for studying. They don't go there to study the Tibetan problem at Harvard. They don't study the Uyghur problem through the eyes of the Americans. Their view is that it's none of their business. How would the Americans tell me about the problems in my country? We know better. That's their policy. If you, if you bring Chinese into some kind of a conference, uh, except for those who are working on, on the American payroll, the, the students in the faculty who come as visiting professors, they don't want to participate in things that are betraying their national interest. Whereas in India, there's no shortage of Indians who you can bring in and give them the even little incentive or maybe no incentive and they'll be happy to trash India. So there's a very big difference between these two. So the, the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the thought that uh, Americans would teach you know, Indian ethics and values and all that, uh, you know, you can't, uh, you can't start this with America. You have to start it with India. Where, after so many years, where is our, what has happened to our NCRT books and our UPSC exams and our social science departments? The Indian Council of Social Science Research. I just gave a talk on my books uh, last week in Delhi with the chairman presiding. The Indian Council of Social Science Research has not championed projects to investigate Indian social theories, which is what ought to be done. Not that our theories are better or worse, but we ought to know what they are. We ought to be able to put them on the table next to the American theories and the British theories and Chinese theories and say, okay, everybody's got a theory of society, we have too. Let's discuss them. So that the absence of proper social sciences research uh, from our own point of view is glaring. Yesterday, when we launched the book, uh, Varna Jati Caste at the World Book Fair, we launched both the books, one after the other. I had uh, two very eminent Indian thinkers. One was uh, Professor Kapil Kapoor, who just got the Padma Vibhushan. He's a very eminent Sanskrit scholar and all that. And the other was uh, Madhukishwar, whom you know probably. Both very good friends. And I asked them, why isn't there uh, work being done on Indian sociology, Indian approaches to sociology, Indian approaches to social sciences. They were both dumbfounded, very defensive, saying, no, no, we are so great, we've had great society, uh, we have this rights of women, we have this. I said, I'm not talking about all of that, I'm talking about an academic discipline with a theoretical model, we don't have. So you will get that video in the next few days, you will see the defensiveness on the part of those who want to, def who want to protect, project a pro-Indian view who are qualified uh, to do some work but who, are, who haven't done this work and are, and are very defensive when somebody points out that this kind of serious work needs to be done. Only then can you expect the Americans to give, respect us. Alright, so in the, maybe in the interest of time I'll ask one last question that has come up is that the role of chat GPT or AI ML in general in this whole debate. Oh, amazing. amazing. So, so that, that is a very important topic of mine. The, Chat GPT and, uh, and things like that, I've very uh, followed. I wrote a book on artificial intelligence and the future of power. I don't know if you know about it, about a year and a half ago, which discusses this whole issue of how AI and the big data and these algorithms and all that are being controlled by a few large companies. 
you know, the Googles of the world. And now Microsoft with their open AI invested $10 billion in it. <clears throat> so chat GPT and other things like it. The question is, how are they being trained and who's training them? Who's, whose ideology are they on? How biased are they? And you know, you can do a lot of experiments with chat GPT. I have done experiments. They're cult culturally biased. And when you complain, they will say, well, you know, you can help us train. So they're using Indians and uh, they're using the world people to help them do machine, to train their machines. So you, the more you use, the, the better, the smarter they get, the more powerful they get. So this power of chat GPT can be asserted over people anywhere in the world. And the unfortunate thing is that a few individuals, a few billionaires, hundreds, they're worth hundreds of billions, ultimately they control these algorithms. So AI is not good or bad, it depends on who uses it and how it's used. But unfortunately, we don't have our own platforms. We don't have a social media platform, an operating system platform, a language model. We don't have a language model in, uh, in AI uh, and we don't have any such thing. But we have a lot of AI engineers who are working for uh, foreign interests, producing you know, patents and so on for foreign entities, but not for ourselves. Social theory is being confused with social policy. Is that the question? Yes. So. Yeah, I think there's both. Um, the social policy, I'm very glad you asked this because it's an important distinction. Uh, but social theory itself if, is an academic and then there's government who make policy. I feel that uh, social theory is as taught in the academic system is largely Western. Western social theories have been imported during the colonial era and we have not really properly deconstructed them. This is, this is a fact you ask social scientists, you asked, uh, I've given a lot of seminars in JNU and Delhi University and brought sociologists and they are saying that that is true. We have a lot of work to do. So uh, that is as far as the academic social theories are concerned. As far as social policies are concerned, the, the social policies respond to the political mandates of, of our country, of India. And so they are, uh, they, they are probably more reflective of the ground reality uh, in, in India. Uh, but the pressure of the Western is definitely there. I mean, the, the, imagine if the large uh, Western industries in pharma and, uh, you know, various sectors that India depends on and tech and all that enact certain social policies in their corporate HR and require that this has to be worldwide. Uh, and this has to be, uh, this has to be a criteria for selecting vendors for selecting outsourcing suppliers, it's going to have an influence in India. So the policies that are not, are not entirely India originated is the point. I'm not concerned about policies that made in India or any government, either government you can, at least you can, at least the accountability is here. Whichever government in India, whichever st state or central government is doing it, at least the people of India can put pressure on them because they are accountable to the voters. But the policy that comes out of a, a Microsoft in Seattle uh, and imposed on their subsidiaries here is something that they are not accountable to the Indian public. All right. So I guess uh, I have uh, asked all the important questions here. In the interest of time, maybe I have skipped some of the questions. So uh, in case you wish to meet him and if he has, uh, he has very little time, but you can take this offline. Uh, so I'm closing this session. So thank you.
uh, all again for attending this. Thank you, Rajiv Malhotraji, for taking time Thank out you of your busy this thing to come to it. Thank you all.